one of those wild bestsellers, and, and uh, people were giving me copies of it, and I, I had not read it, and, and Leslie uh, took one of my copies as we were going on vacation, she started reading it, and I'll never forget, she tra- starts telling me the story of 90 Minutes in Heaven as we're driving on a very narrow road over bridges with semis coming towards us, and I'm like, I don't want to hear the story. I just let's talk about it when we get home. Uh, but subsequently, read the book and uh, saw the. Movie. I absolutely loved it, and it was just an honor to get to meet uh, Don Piper. And the last time he was here uh, was a powerful moment because uh, my mom had recently passed away. Actually, just a few weeks before Don came last time. And uh, I don't know why last time I wanted to hear Don speak more than ever because I I knew my mom was in heaven. And I wanted to hear Don Piper, and when I told him, I'll never forget, he came up and he gave me a hug, and he said, I'm sorry for your temporary separation. And it just reminded me that, yeah, it's not the end, that we're going to see her again. And that's the beauty of heaven, that's the beautiful part of heaven. It's not very often that you get to introduce a guest speaker who has died, but I get to do that today. And it's not often you get to introduce a guest speaker that actually had a movie made about his life, but Don did. And in case you don't know Don and his story, we're just going to watch a short clip from that movie. And then as Don comes up in just a moment, would you welcome him as he comes? But go ahead and roll the trailer. My name is Don Piper. 26 years ago, I died. When I woke up, I was in heaven. But God had other plans for me. Every day of my life, I asked the same question. Oh Lord, why'd you let me see heaven and take it away? Through his plan, I discovered my purpose is to tell you. God still answers prayers. God still performs miracles. Heaven is real. It's just creepy, really, to watch people be you and say your words. Very strange. Um, I think I said the last time I was here, I've never gotten over the fact that my life is for sale at Walmart. And now now it's a movie, and um, it's a movie we don't watch, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, It's hard to go back over this again. Don't you have stuff in your life that it's hard to relive, that you prefer not to? But I've, I've discovered, as I'm sure you have, that sometimes the things that God, that you try to put behind you, God puts in front of you. And that's what he uses. So we're kind of stunned uh, by the response uh, to the book and then eventually to the movie. It's just been kind of overwhelming. It's good to be back. Um, I think I said this once before, too. My father in the ministry, Dr. DeMond Vaughn, used to say, son, if you ever get invited back, it means they liked you. And so uh, I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, I I guess you liked me, so thank you, Daryl, Leslie. Family, thank you for being here. I'm looking forward to tomorrow night. We're going to come here and uh, we're going to share the full testimony. I have a, a, another message this morning that touches on 
on a part of the testimony, but it really has more to do with um, kind of life today. And so I'm going to share that message with you prayerfully, and I hope it'll be uh, meaningful to you. And I do encourage you to write these things down because there's going to probably be some times in your life when you're with somebody who is not a person of faith and and um, they're really struggling with their own lives and own existence, and they need some words about, about what is really true and who God really is and how to have a relationship, an authentic relationship with God. I think these things will help you. I think I've, I've found that that is the case. Uh, I, I did write some books, and after we get through here, I have some of them out in the, in the, in the lobby, the foyer, and, and, and I think we have a picture of them here. Uh, you're probably acquainted with 90 Minutes, as Pastor uh, mentioned 90 Minutes is the book I wrote, so I would never have to talk about it. And um, and it, we we have uh, the 10th anniversary edition of the book, and then we also have um, it in large print. And we have a, a young person's edition of the book. You know, sometimes kids go to school on Monday and there's an empty desk, or or Papa passes away, and and you're trying to explain to them what happens next, and and the, the, the young reader's edition of 90 Minutes is good at that. We took a lot of the graphic wreck stuff out of it, but um, there is a young reader's edition out there for like 6 to 16. A devotional book we do have this morning, uh, 90 Stories uh, for Hope and Healing, and it's a good way to start the day. They're very short, but uh, they're powerful stories. And then I have my wife's book here, a few copies of it, um, uh, a Walk Through the Dark, she is the hero of the story. Last weekend, we're out in West Texas, and I spoke, uh, we spoke, uh, I spoke six times. She was with me for five of them. And it's just so wonderful to have her on the stage and go back and forth about our story and how we got through it, because she is the hero of the story. and That's her story, A Walk Through the Dark, how she got us through this. When I got hit by the truck, she got hit by the truck. Our family got hit by the truck. The church got hit by the truck. Our lives were totally changed, and uh, that's her story. The movie is based as much on her story as it is on mine. The, the movie, um, I was actually on set for about 90% of the time. We do have some copies of the movie with us today, DVDs, and uh, like I said, it's kind of strange to, to watch a movie about yourself, but uh, I was playing the movie by, by Hayden Christensen, young man who was uh, Anakin Skywalker in the Star Wars movies. I, I've heard a rumor that he's coming back in one of the subsequent movies, even though, you know, in, in the movies on television, you're never really killed off. You just, they say you are, but you're not. And so um, he may be back. I know he's been down in Florida for three weeks uh, because you may know that Disney owns all the, the rights to all the Star Wars movies. So he's been down there meeting people. Um, signing autographs and things like that. He's a, he's a fine young man, but I, I still haven't gotten over the fact that I've been played in a movie by Darth Vader. So um, <laughs> I, my kids call me Darth Preacher. But I, um, And then Kate Bosworth, very, very lovely lady, plays my wife in the movie. Um, Kate and my wife have gotten to be like best buddies. They talk every week. Um, my daughter was diagnosed with stage three kidney cancer in February and uh, had to have her kidney and a bunch of other things removed. Kate was making a movie in Texas and she came down to Houston so she could have dinner with my daughter. That's the kind of person Kate is. So uh, we, we've come to really, really love her. 
Fred Thompson is in the movie. Fred, this is his last movie that Fred ever made. Very fine actor, a very big man, and um, he's bigger than life, really, when you see him. But he's in the movie. Uh, Dwight Yoakam is in the movie. Uh, someone was asking me about Jason Kennedy. You may or may not know who he is, but he plays a good friend of mine in the movie. Jason is one of the hosts for ETV. And Michael W. Smith, uh, who is now one of my all-time favorite people, he's one of the friendliest, sweetest guys I've ever met. He and his son wrote the music for this movie, and he also stars in the movie. So uh, it's a very, very touching motion picture, but I, as I said, it's hard for us to watch. What do you think God knows? Would you, would you agree with me that God knows everything? Remember when you were in Sunday school years ago, and they would teach you the uh, the omni words, like omnipresent, uh, omniscient, uh, you know, the all-powerful, all-knowing. I mean, all those words. Um, but I want to suggest this morning, and, and it's very provocative. We put this on the sign at my church when I was preaching this, uh, f five things God does not know. We got phone calls. Because uh, people called and said, what do you mean five things God does not know? I mean, what could God not know? Well, go with me on this. I think you'll find this fascinating. Because I want to suggest there are five things that God does not know. And uh, you may want to write these down um, because I think they'll come in handy as you're kind of sharing them with other people. I would say this. I think as time has gone by, we have lost uh, our awe for God. We, we, we live in a society nowadays where his name is used in vain. We, we, we live in a society nowadays where God is, uh, frankly, the butt of jokes, people just kind of make fun of God, and they throw his name around like it's just, I, 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 last night I, I suggested that uh, when they were uh, transcribing Bibles, uh, because that's the only way they could, they didn't have a printing press yet, and times go by, they would, they would use a stylus, they'd be writing along, you know, going from one page to another, because it's copying, and they would come to the word God, and they would put down the pen they had been writing with and pick up another pen and write God and then throw that pen away. They had such an awe for God that they couldn't write any other word with that pen but God, and then they went back to writing with the other. Wow, we've come a long way from that uh, when it comes to God, and so we've lost something. But I want to suggest that even in God's omniscience and omnipresence, that there are some things he, he simply doesn't know. Listen to these verses from Romans chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. pastor was just talking about eternal life as he refers to his, his mom. All of you in here, most everybody in this room has lost loved ones. And we want to know where they are. We're at the funeral, and there's a body down here, and we're confronted with our own mortality when we know that somebody we love has passed. And so we want to know what happens next. It says here that because of our relationship with God, because of our freedom from sin having been set free, the result is eternal life. But now listen to this. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. If you look at the real translation of that word, the wages of sin, here's what it says. Rotten meat. The wages of sin is rotten meat. That's what the word wages means in that context. Well, you know, we know what that smells like. 
I mean, you go in the grocery store and you buy a package of meat and it's sealed in cellophane or plastic and it looks perfectly fine at the store. Maybe even the expiration date is okay. You get it home and you open it and it's not good. You have to throw it away. You know what it smells like. It's awful. The reason I'm mentioning that is because that's what the translation of this verse is. And what it says is, to God, to God, that's what our sin smells like in his nostrils. That's pretty awful. So I want to suggest the first thing that God does not know is that he does not know a sin he does not hate. God does not know a sin he does not hate. You name the sin, he hates it. You say what God hates? Yes, he hates sin. And here's why. He is a holy God. He's a holy God. And in being a holy God, anything that is unholy is a stench in his nostrils. It's that bad. It's that awful. He simply doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. And so we're indicted right off the bat. I have three grandchildren who are probably the most attractive, intelligent grandchildren in the history of the world. And we have grandparents in here. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Carly and Will and Penny. Uh, Penny's uh, full name is Penelope, but we call her Penny because Penelope Piper is just too many P's. And she's, uh, she's really gorgeous beyond words. Will is a piece of work. He's a six-year-old boy. Use your imagination. And uh, Carly is about to be 10 years old, and she knows everything. She knows everything. She's not at the stage in life where she discovered that she does not know everything. But I promise you, as wonderful as they are and as delightful as it is to be with them, we did not teach them to sin. Now, we probably did some things in front of them or said some things in front of them. I say we, I mean the extended family that might have influenced them in one direction or another. But I promise you, as God is my witness, we did not steal something in front of them so that they could see that stealing was okay. We did not lie in front of them so they could see that lying was okay. We certainly didn't murder anybody in front of them so that they could see that was okay. What does that mean? It means that we are born into sin. No one taught you. You got caught doing something, and instead of saying, yes, I did it, I confess, you lied. Now, there may be some in here who didn't lie. You just confessed. But you know what? There are other things in your life. We had a president once that... Uh, uh, got in all kinds of hot water because he said he had lusted after other people. But he didn't do anything about it. I mean, he didn't act on his, his temptation. But he was saying that even the thought of doing it was, made him guilty. He was right. It does. That person who cut you off on the highway out here, you may have thought something about them. You might have liked to do something to them. There's, and in doing that, the Bible says we've sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that is what? Death. So we're born to die. I mean, we got tossed out of paradise. I mean, the first two people ever made sin because they had free will and they acted on it and God told them not to do something and they did something. The first two children ever born, one of them killed the other. We got off to a terrible start. And we're not doing much better today, frankly. Watch the news. I mean, I live in Houston. That's just a couple of rungs below Chicago in its size. They think that by the end of maybe the next decade, Houston will pass Chicago in terms of it. So we have our own share of crime and mayhem. And uh, 
you know, so does Chicago. We all know about it. It's a scary. Uh, you can be minding your own business and your life will end. How did we get to this point? Is this something that's pleasing to God? No, God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. He hates sin. It's an anathema to him. He can't stand it. He wants to eliminate it. And, and because we are sinners, we deserve to die. We will die. All of us are going to die. I'm going to talk about the testimony tomorrow night. I mean, the, the death rate here is 100%. We're all going to die. And the reason we're dying here is because we're sinners here. So that means that after we die here because we're sinners, we're not staying here. We're going somewhere else. And those who haven't repented of their sins have a place in hell. People, I always get, when people tell me, you know, why does God send people to hell? God doesn't send people to hell. Your sin sends you to hell. God doesn't want you to go there. That's why he made another place. One of the last things Jesus said before he left here is, I go to prepare a place for you. But you're going to have to have a relationship with him to get there. So God just simply doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. Now, you'll notice this in the Bible when it talks about sin. Many, many of the places in the Bible where it's referring to sin, they, they just list sins. There's a long list of sins. I mean, the ten, the, the, the ten Commandments really are kind of a list of sins, but there are many other places in the Bible where they just list sins. And we as humans have a tendency to think this, ours is not as bad as someone else's. We didn't do that. Yeah, we did this, but we didn't do that. And the truth is, the reason there are lists of sins in the Bible is that all of them are an offense to God. And if you commit one of them, you may as well commit it all the other. Well, that doesn't sound fair. It doesn't have to be fair. It's God. So if he's a holy God in a holy place, we're not eligible to go to a place if we have one sin, even if it's one that we don't consider that bad. It was my privilege a few years ago. I speak in lots of prisons and jails, and I was in Angola. Angola has a history, this prison in Louisiana, of being like one of the worst prisons in the world. It's not, a lot of things have happened there that I don't have time to go into, but God is really working in Angola. I was speaking in the Billy Graham Chapel that he built there, his ministry built there, and uh, there's a George Beverly Shea organ over here. It's just quite a, a remarkable place, and the place is rocking. We're having a magnificent service in this, um, in this facility at Angola State Penitentiary. And I'm on the front row, and it's time for me to go up. And the choir up here, the, uh, the men are dressed in white outfits, like a white shirt, white pants, and all of them are. And so this whole area up here is filled with a choir, and it's guys, of course, and they're rocking and they're singing. And there's a guy over here playing the organ that almost fell off the stool two or three times. I mean, he is going crazy on this organ. And I'm uh, about to get up to preach, and the, the warden leans over to me, and here's what he says. You know, everybody in the choir is a murderer. I said, no, sir, I, I didn't know that. And, and he said, and the guy over in the organ there, the one that's really rocking, I said, yes, sir, he's great. He said, he's killed several people. And I got ready to go up there, and I'm looking at all these murderers, and I'm looking at this murderer over here. And here's what I thought. There, but for the grace of God, go I. You know, I could just as soon be these guys up here. They, they didn't all look like thugs and whatever. They're just, they look like pretty ordinary guys who kill someone else. Well, we know what kind of crime that is. I mean, in our opinion, it's kind of the worst crime you could commit, and yet... They're praising God up here on the stage, and 
in, in, in their lives have been remarkably changed and they're trying to influence the other inmates for God. God simply doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. But in, in this case, you know, God can, is redemptive. He, he doesn't want us to die in our sins. He just doesn't. But he hates the sin. These people are locked up because they're paying their debt to society. They're not getting out. There's a cemetery at Angola, a large cemetery. And that's because a lot of guys who have no, no one who will even claim them die there, and they take them out back and bury them. It's just profoundly sad. That's the wages of their sin, is death. They'll die in that penitentiary, and they'll have a service for them outside. So what is sin? I want to suggest that sin is transgressions, that is going beyond the boundaries that God sets, that it's unrighteousness, that's, that's not hitting the target that God has had for us when he created us. It's lawlessness. Well, we know what that's all about. People who are just out of control. They don't care. I mean, you watch the news nowadays and you see people commit crimes and they have no sense of remorse whatsoever. They just don't care. It's just complete lawlessness. It's rebellion. It's, it's just saying, God, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want. Godlessness, wickedness, evil. It's an offense to God. And the price for that is death. We will die because of our sin. Let me say this. A lot of people want to know this. How can I know whether I'm really saved or not? How can I know whether I'm really a Christian or not? I think that's a good question when it relates to sin. Let me suggest this. One of the key ways that you'll know whether you're an authentic follower of Jesus Christ or not is how do you feel about sin? Your own sin. Because if you don't have any remorse about what you do that is offense to God, then you need to question whether you have an authentic faith in Jesus or not. See, it's how do you feel about that? How, I don't mean when you look at somebody else and say, I can't believe they did that. Well, we know what the Bible says looking at somebody else and with the things sticking out of your own eye. How do you feel about sin? How do you feel about the things that you do, the things that you said, the things that you think? I think that's one of the best yardsticks I know of, of whether you have an authentic relationship with Jesus or not. So how do you feel about sin yourself? I'm not talking about you're repelled by what somebody else did. I'm talking about your own life, your own existence. If you really want to know if you, if you have the faith, if you really are at a situa you're in a situation where you can be holy in the sight of God, your question should be, how do you feel about the things that you do that are offensive to God? How do you feel about those? And then you'll know, I think. How serious is sin? It killed Jesus. That's as serious as you can get. The Son of God. God himself embodied here on earth, walking among us, getting a cut on his hand, doing the same things that we do, hungry at the dinner table. I mean, that God who came here and dwelt among us was murdered in one of the most gruesome, heinous crimes in the history of the world, if not the, the, the worst. So that's how serious sin is. It killed the Son of God on a cross. God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. You name the sin, he hates it. That's us. So many of us are looking for loopholes in the Ten Commandments, you know, the Ten Suggestions. But they're commandments. 
You know what a commandment is. When your parents said, go do this, it wasn't like optional. You may have argued about it, but they meant that. God gives us commandments. He tells us in the, in the Bible what sin is and, and lists the sin. And all of them are bad. All of them are an offense to him. Every single one of us would keep, every single one of those sins would keep us out of heaven. Wow, this is a terrible start to this sermon. God doesn't know a sin he doesn't hate. And we're all sinners. Every one of us. All right, this is going to take a turn here, right here, fast. Second one is God doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. Isn't that good? I mean, that's great because that is us. He doesn't know a, a sinner he doesn't love. Even though you've done offensive things to God, even though I've done offensive things and I've disobeyed him, he loves me anyway. He loves me anyway, and that is the reason that Jesus came. He came to save us. He, God hates, he hates lies, but he loves liars. He hates murder, but he loves murderers. He hates adultery, but he, he loves adulterers. He, he loves us in spite of of our own selves. I mean, he created us for fellowship with him, and even though we've been dis disobedient, he still wants fellowship with him. We are his children. We are his sons and daughters. He loves us. He simply doesn't know a sinner. He doesn't love, and that's us. Do this with me, would you? Just kind of bow your heads for a moment and close your eyes so you're not distracted by anything else. Here's what I want to ask you to do. It's very simple. I want you to think with me for this moment about the worst sin you've ever heard of. Just the worst thing anyone ever did. Got it? Okay, look up here. God loves the person who did that. You say, well, he can't love a child molester. He can't love Adolf Hitler. He can't. Yes, he can. He's God. He loves us. But until we reject him, finally, he continues to love us. He does. You want to know what the unforgivable sin? Rejecting God. We have a fancy church word for it, you know, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. But what it really boils down to is that we've been given every, every chance, every chance, every moment of our lives to repent to turn from our wicked ways and follow God, and we fail to do that, and the wages of sin is death. But what does it say there at the other part of the sentence? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's the rest of the story. The rest of the story is God doesn't know a sinner. He doesn't love. That's why Jesus came, and it's necessary for us to repent change. What does that mean? Well, you've probably seen it a thousand times. What it means is doing this, going this way and turning around and going the other way. You say, well, that's pretty simple. Actually, it is. But it's got to be authentic. It's got to be meant. It's got to be personal. It's got to be you saying, I, I'm not just sorry for my sin. I turn from my sin. That, that's in an instant sometimes. I remember, this is a bad example, but I'm going to use it anyway. My dad smoked cigarettes for, since he was probably a teenager. 
And uh, maybe three or four packs a day, and he knew it was bad for him. He knew that it was just probably going to kill him one of these days. But he was in the Army and in and, and World War II and Korea, and this was just almost in the service. It was just pandemic. It was across the board. One night he was watching Walter Cronkite on the news, and he believed everything Walter Cronkite said. And Walter Cronkite, you know, good evening, this is Walter Cronkite. And Walter Cronkite comes on and he says, the Surgeon General has determined that cigarette smoking causes cancer, is hazardous to your health. My dad was smoking a cigarette. He put the cigarette down, and he never smoked another cigarette in his life. Now, that's willpower. I've never seen anybody do that in my life. But that's a pretty good example of hearing the truth and saying, I'm not doing this anymore because this is wrong. This is harmful to me and harmful to the people around me. I mean, my, my brothers and I, we were in the back seat of the car, and we were traveling down the road, and he smoked. It was just like we're in a cigarette-smoking factory there in the car. And it wasn't that he was trying to hurt us. He loved us. But we, we were in that environment. So he changed. He just changed. And he did it in an instant. And maybe he was looking for a reason to do it because he didn't want to do it anyway. The fact is, you have to change. You have to turn. God doesn't know a sinner he doesn't love. That means you change. You repent. You turn. And you become an authentic follower of his. That's what happened to those guys in Angola. You know, people say, well, that's a, one of those jail confessions. That's one of those jail. No, I met a bunch of those guys. They were some of the most spiritual people I've ever met in my life. They were an inspiration to me. So they did repent. They did change. This service was broadcast into the death row. It's the first time that ever happened. So they had closed-circuit TVs on death row. So those guys in there were watching me talk about heaven and they were watching me talk about, about answered prayer and miracles and, and a new normal because their life was never going to be the same again. And so they changed. I believe they changed. I, I trust God that they changed. And God loves them anyway. I, even though their crimes were heinous beyond words, they were unspeakable. And we hear about them all the time. We live around them. God can love those people anyway. And he loves you, no matter what you've done. If you think for a moment that people in here wouldn't be sitting beside you because if they knew what you did, they wouldn't, you're wrong. I mean, you may have done something last night that you wouldn't even confess right here, right now. And the truth is God loves you, no matter what. He wants to save you. He loves sinners. We're all included in that. Here's the next thing. God doesn't know a better salvation than Jesus. Think about it. If there was a better salvation than Jesus, wouldn't he have done that? We have a lot of religions in the world, but Jesus was the only begotten Son of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. It's, it's the only way. We were talking last night about that old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way. There is no other way. Jesus said right before he left, I go to prepare a place for you, and if so, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And Thomas said, well, how do, how do we get there? How do we get to heaven? And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes of the Father except through me. Now, I don't, 
I don't know how to make it any clearer than that. There's not a better salvation than Jesus. If there was a better salvation, God is God. Is God. He would have found another way. There is no other way. And let's face it, we look for other ways. We try to be involved in our community. We try to do good things. We try to do good deeds. We try to give to this thing and that. And those are all wonderful things. I, I encourage those. But those are not going to get you into heaven. Your social involvement in the community is not going to get you into heaven. Be a member of a church is not going to get you into heaven. There's only one way to get in heaven, and that's Jesus. There's no other way. If there was a, another way, God would have provided that way. There's no other way. I mean, Jesus wasn't just a prophet. He was the Son of God. The Son of God. He was God. Very God and very man right here on earth. That's the way we come to Christ. That's the way we make a reservation in heaven. And of course, we're taking them this morning. So I want you to understand very clearly that you can do a lot of things that might impress other people that certainly are wonderful things and highly desirable things, but you're not going to be able to do enough to earn your way into heaven. You have to have a personal, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And I don't mean here. I mean here. You can know a lot about Jesus. You, you could know more about Jesus than we do, the rest of us in this room. But that won't get you into heaven. Knowing about him is not the key. Accepting what he did on the cross, that's the key. There's not a better salvation than Jesus. And I, I love this because it's just so true. You can search the world over, and let's face it, there are people who are doing that right now while we're sitting here. They're looking for the truth. They're going all over the world, and the truth is Jesus. He's like right here in front of us. There's not a better salvation than Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus is the founder of our faith. He was both all God and all man. Accepting who he is really is as important as believing what he taught. In Jesus' earthly life, he was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, traveled around teaching and healing. Jesus died on a Roman cross, was buried in a garden, guarded tomb. Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to hundreds of followers before rising up to heaven. Today, Jesus is our high priest and will one day return as our king. That's who Jesus is. There's not a better salvation than that. It's been my privilege over the years to preach in the islands of Hawaii. I can't get any sympathy at all about going over there. <laughs> it's interesting, as much as I travel, uh, when I am invited to come to Hawaii to preach, my wife is all over that. She, she knows she needs to accompany me on those trips. And, let's, and I'll be honest with you, several of the trips I've been over there, I might as well have been in Wisconsin, you know, because I am traveling constantly, and occasionally I see a beach out the window because I'm going from one place to another. And, and I've been, uh, I used to serve on the board of directors of Far East Broadcasting Company in La Mirada, uh, California. It's right, it's right near Los Angeles. And being in Los Angeles and being in Hawaii, I'm mindful of the fact if you go out to the piers in Los Angeles, you know, all the, all the piers, Ventura, all these places, you can look out and, and, and you could see West, you can see Catalina Island sometimes, and you could see in the direction of Hawaii. I have yet to see anybody jump off that pier and swim to Hawaii. You can't get there. We, it's not humanly possible to get there, personally. But it is possible to get there. You have to have another way. 
Yeah, you, you have to have another way. There's no way that you get there is by swimming. You're not going to do it on your own. You have to have a method. You have to have a means, whether it's a boat or an airplane or something. You're going to have to know. And truthfully, there's not a better salvation. If you want to get to heaven, you're going to have to have Jesus. You just are. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. You can't. It's not possible. God doesn't know a better salvation than Jesus. Here's number four. God doesn't know a better place than heaven. Isn't that the best place of all? It, it is. God doesn't know a better place than heaven. And if there was a better place, God would live there. He lives in heaven. It's his place. You read Revelation 21, and you'll see that God says in the Scripture, the Revelation, he says, you will be with God, you will be with God, and you will be with God. Three times. You can read it. One through six, chapter, verses one through six in Revelation 21. You'll be with God. So if you want to know, and people often do, we were talking in the lobby before we came out here about, you know, people want to know, do you play golf in heaven? Are there going to be dogs in heaven? People ask all kinds of questions. You want to know the best thing about heaven? You're with God. You're with God. And, and yes, I saw a magnificent gate made out of pearl. Yes, I saw people who had loved me and preceded me in death. They surrounded me. They were all around me. And I, I saw them and I knew them and I loved them. It was great to see them again. When I saw their faces, I knew where I was. But what I knew about them is that they had all professed Christ, whether they were 18 when they died or 78 when they died. They were ready to go when the time came. And they were there. And they helped me get there. These are the people who took me to church when I had no other way to go. They gave me a Bible. They told me about Jesus. They lived a Christian life in front of me, so I knew where I was the moment I saw them. They helped me get to heaven. And I came back from there asking the question, who are you going to greet? Well, there's just not a better place than heaven. I could see through the portal. There is a golden boulevard. I was surrounded by angels. They're all over the place. I can not only hear their voices, I can hear their wings. What a holy sound that was. And I could hear the music. We had marvelous music this morning. It's wonderful. And we're going to have a great time in heaven because they have great music up there. All of it glorifying God, for he alone is worthy of our worship. I'm surrounded by the music. Heaven is a, is a sensory explosion. It's a buffet for the senses of of sight and sound and touch. And I wanted to go through that thick wall and, and go down that golden boulevard and just climb the hill in the center of the city where the brightest light is and fall at his feet and say, thank you for letting me come. Thank you. But I never got a chance. I mean, I was with God in his place. And people were praying here that I would live, and I, I did. I came back. But I wanted to be there. I still want to be there. I'd rather be there any time than here. God doesn't know a better place than heaven. And for those of us who trust him as Lord and Savior, it's our ultimate destination. It's where we're headed. We're headed there. This is not our home. As I said, the death rate here is 100%. We're not getting out of this alive. So where are you going? You know the options. Because we're sinners and we don't repent, hell. Because we're sinners and we do, heaven. So here's your opportunity this morning. I mean, this is it. It comes down to this because the last thing is this. God doesn't know a better time than now. The Bible says today is the day of salvation, doesn't it? It does. So what does that mean? That means is 
This is all we got. This is the only moment we have in time. Um, I've been in services where people literally died in the service. They may have had a heart attack. I've been in churches where there may be a pew, and on the end of the pew is a plaque that says, Aunt Mary died here on, you know, April the 15th, 1986. They just put a plaque there because she died in the service. I got killed on the way to church. So you have to be ready all the time. You can't wait on this because you may not have another chance. Maybe somebody invited you here today. We're delighted that you're here. And the truth is, you just heard for the first time where you are spiritually, and you know that you're not ready for heaven. Today is the day of salvation. Just come. I, I, I mentioned last night that I was speaking in uh, San Antonio, and this woman came down the aisle, and she, I, there were too many people down here for the pastor to talk to. So I took up my microphone, and I went down there, and I said, Hi, how are you? She said, I'm good. I said, you came forward. To have a, did you have a decision to make? She says, I don't know. I said, you came down and you don't know why? Uh-uh. I said, have you ever trusted the Lord as your Savior? No, I haven't done that. I said, would you like to? She said, I really would like to do that. So we prayed right there on the spot. It's kind of a holy moment, holy ground right there where she's trusting the Lord as Savior. We finished praying and I opened my eyes and standing right beside her was a young boy. And he had, his mother had come down, and he was sitting back there by himself. This was not their church. He walked down, and he stood beside her. I said, hi, how are you? He said, I'm fine. I said, is this your mom? Uh-huh. I said, um, your mom just trusted the Lord as Savior. She knows she's going to heaven now. Would you like to go? He says, I want to go where she's going. I said, well, would you like to ask Jesus into your heart? Yes, sir, I think I would. And he did, too. Here's the point. You may not even understand why you are coming down today. Just come. Obedience is what God is looking for, always. Obedience. He's God. He created you. And so he loves you. He came in the form of Jesus to die for you on the cross. There's not a better salvation than Jesus. There's not a better place than heaven. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And there's not a better time than now. So boys and girls, men and women, today is the day of salvation. There's not a better time than now. And the moment the pastor is going to come and conclude the service as the Lord leads him, if I don't get to meet you here, one day I want to see you there at the gates of heaven. Pastor.